0: We are in Daniel chapter 2 this week, and I'll be looking at the first 23 verses, Lord willing. So if you turn with me to page 737, Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Neb- Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time, that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, from the God of heaven, concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, "Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things he knows." What is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Well, let us pray. Father, please bless these words to us now as we seek to have wisdom and understanding ourselves as Daniel did that we might also put our wisdom and understanding into action as Daniel did. So bless us to that end that we may be like our Savior in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are contained. For Jesus' sake, amen. I came across um, an application for employment, actually, that I think was written in South Africa. And I read it to you. As follows, I refer to the recent death of the technical manager at your company and hereby apply for the replacement of the deceased manager. Each time I apply for a job, I get a reply that there is no vacancy, but in this case, I have caught you red-handed. And you have no excuse because I even attended the funeral to be sure he was truly dead and buried before applying. Attached to my letter is a copy of my CV and his death certificate. (laughs) Now, there's a lot to unpack there and that's not the point of the sermon. Though I do wish those who complain about not finding work would take maybe a page out of this guy's book And go and visit funeral homes and find out who's died recently and what jobs might be open. But that is not my point. My point is this person clearly feels as though they have been lied to over and over again. And has now gone to extreme measures because they don't trust those to whom they write to. And it is a universal, I would say, Christian and non-Christian truth that none of us like to be lied to. But here's another problem. While none of us like to be lied to, there are times when we also don't want the truth. And so we live in this sort of gray area where we don't like to be lied to, but we don't also want the truth spoken if it's going to indeed hurt. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, is suffering from a lack of sleep. And some of us probably know how infuriating that can be and how enjoyable it is to wake up in the morning and you don't wake up through the night, you don't have to go to the bathroom, you don't roll over a few hundred times and you go, wow, what a good night's sleep. And as I get older, those are the words I yearn for. What a good night's sleep. When you don't have a good night's sleep, things can go horribly astray, especially if this is a persistent and ongoing pattern. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has lost his sleep because he is having dreams that are troubling him. And so his spirit is troubled. This isn't, I would say, a case of a bad night's sleep. This is a persistent, I don't know how long, but a persistent course of a vivid set of dreams that is causing a man who has power to become deeply troubled, afraid, worried. And usually those who have a lot of power are always worried about losing that power. And so the king takes action. He commands the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to be summoned before him. And so he summons them. And what does he say? Well, he says, I've had a dream and my spirit is troubled. Well, these uh, gentlemen who have stood in his court for maybe many years and explained many things are able to say to him in verse 4, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. Uh, Nothing out of the ordinary is going on as far as they're concerned except for the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is so troubled by this dream he's going to actually change the terms of engagement with these people. So what does he do in verse 5? He actually requires of them not only to interpret the dream but to tell him what he's been dreaming without him telling them. Imagine that. You know how we do that in our relationships? You wake up and you say to your wife or your husband, you say, oh, I had this dream last night. And then you stop and you say, and guess what it was? My wife did that to me already this morning. She says, you'll never guess who got selected for this all-star game. And I just go, who? (laughs) I am not a mind reader. We do that, right? And so... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar might say to them, you'll never guess what I dreamed. And the enchanters and the sorcerers and the magicians say, come on, let us have it. And we will interpret for you. And he says, "Ah, not so fast. You need to tell me what I dreamed and then you need to interpret that. And if you can do that, you will have great honor and riches. But if you do not do that, you shall be torn limb limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Don't you love people who tell it like it is? You know, sometimes we say, oh, you know, this pastor or this person or whatever, they tell it like it is. I don't like that. I People who tell it like it is. Who wants to be told you're going to be torn limb from limb and have your houses laid waste? But he's the king. And they stand in his court. So they answer him. And you have to sympathize with these people they said let the king tell his servants the dream almost as though come on you can't be serious and we will show its interpretation but then nebuchadnezzar says to them i know with certainty you are trying to gain time you know my word is firm And if you don't know what my dream is and then interpret the dream, you are going to be sentenced to death. And then he makes that interesting point in verse 9b. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. In other words... I think it's quite clear that Nebuchadnezzar knows deep down inside that these people who come into his court and speak to him are frauds. He knows they're frauds. And now for the first time, Nebuchadnezzar is deeply, deeply worried about something going on and he can't afford to be spoken to by frauds and liars. That's why he's changed the circumstances because now he's not just entertaining them as a sort of sport. You know, you come into the court and uh, this happens. Somebody reads a poem in class and they say, Oh, and what do you make of that poem? Well, I think the poem's about this. And then someone else goes, I think the flowers represent this. And I think this is post feminist ideology here. And this is Foucault. And oh, no, this has to do with uh, the patriarchy. And everyone has their chance to interpret the poem. And then we put it down and say, Until next class, see you. That's probably something similar to what would happen in Nebuchadnezzar's court, but now Nebuchadnezzar's fearful of losing his kingdom, and he can't afford to have these enchanters and sorcerers and magicians lie to him. So, what do they say? Well, they make the point in verse 10 there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, because really what you are asking belongs to the gods and not those who dwell in flesh. You're asking us something completely unreasonable, something only the gods could know. Now, Nebuchadnezzar in verse 12 doesn't sort of say, you know what, I've probably been asking a little too much. He is angry, he is furious, and he commands them all to be destroyed. And that will include Daniel and his companions. So what do we find in the case of Daniel? Well, we find in the case of Daniel that he exercises wisdom. And wisdom in this instance is staying calm when there is absolutely no good reason to stay calm. Let me say that again. Wisdom in this instance is staying calm when there is no good reason to stay calm. Humanly speaking, if you know what a king is like who is not just a constitutional monarch like Charles might be with Canada but has absolute power and says the decree I have cited will be firm and you will be killed it is amazing that Daniel remains calm and replies with prudence and discretion. That's true wisdom. And he asks to Arioch, the king's captain, in verse 15, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then he explains to Daniel. So Daniel asks to have an appointment that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is what Nebuchadnezzar wants. And finally, someone is prepared to give Nebuchadnezzar what he wants. So what does Daniel do? Well, notice in verse 17, he goes to his house, and this is very important for you to understand. Daniel goes to his house and makes this problem, namely, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, we're going to be torn limb by limb. What do we do? And so, in order to solve the problem, Daniel calls a corporate prayer meeting. You see that? He makes the matter known to them, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Daniel didn't just say, well, I'm a prophet. I'm going to be able to come up with this. Leave the matter to me. No, he actually goes to his friends and asks them to pray and that God may answer the prayer, which in fact is what God does. But do you notice what Daniel did? He enlisted the help of others. In other words, he believes in the power not of prayer, But the power of prayers. He believes not in the power of prayer, but the power of prayers. And then in verse 19, we are told, without knowing precisely what was said, except that they asked for mercy, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And so, what does Daniel do? He doesn't race off to the king. And say, aha, I've got it, it's all sorted. No, he praises God. He blesses the God of heaven and he says, and I want you to notice something really crucial here. Daniel, in his prayer to God, is probably indicating to us a great deal of what he would have said when he initially prayed to God. You want to know what Daniel said? When he prayed to God and his friends prayed to God, it's probably quite similar to what he says here. And what he says here reveals in many respects what are utterly anemic prayers in the church today from pulpits and in prayer meetings. Anemic, weak prayers that are not suffused with great thoughts of God, are not suffused with scripture that may be bordering on vain repetition because people don't know the God of the scriptures and so the God of the scriptures they go to is a lot smaller than the God Daniel presents here. Notice how much of this prayer is taken up with who God is. Most of our prayers are probably taken up with what we want or things we need. But Daniel's prayer is taken up more with who God is. Not without his needs, but notice. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He focuses on God's eternity. And this eternal God, to him belongs wisdom and might. Now, if God has wisdom and if God has power, then surely that type of God can help Daniel and his friends. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. Nebuchadnezzar has been placed here and made this decree and had these dreams. Why? Daniel knows. Because God has placed Nebuchadnezzar there. God removes kings. He sets up kings. Kings, including Nebuchadnezzar, he gives wisdom to the wise, to Daniel and his friends, and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. There is nothing God does not know. He knows all things. He knew what Nebuchadnezzar was going to decree before Nebuchadnezzar was born. He knew that Daniel would receive wisdom from above before Daniel was born. He knew that Daniel would seek God in prayer with his friends. He knew he would answer that prayer because he's God. And so to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Let me say this in case some of you never come back here again. How many of you can make a prayer of thanksgiving like this? Because the only people who can make prayers of thanksgiving like this are people who go to a big enough God to actually ask great things of the God that they are confessing. So if you don't do that, if you don't go to God in prayer, and you don't talk about a great God and if you don't talk about all the wondrous things He can do and will do and has promised to do, you're going to have pretty pathetic prayer requests if I don't mind saying so. And then when those little prayer requests get answered occasionally, you're going to have pretty pathetic little issues of praise to Him. And you're going to live in the little realm of a little God and little prayers and little answers and they won't look anything like what we see here. That's the truth. That is the truth. Is the church has completely lost track of the greatness of God, of all of his attributes, of the scriptural language concerning who God is and what he has done and what he has promised to do, that we simply say, we just do this and we just do that, but we don't actually tell God who he is so that he will do the things that he is. Now, we might want to ask ourselves another question. Why did Nebuchadnezzar go to these frauds in the first place? You know, before he had these vivid, troubling dreams, why did he go to these frauds in the first place? Because people don't mind being lied to on the one hand. They just don't want to know they're being lied to. That's why some of the churches you go and you actually cannot believe that thousands of people walk in and the pastor smiles with his newly whitened teeth and says a whole bunch of nonsense. And then you go, how is it? What's going on? And the point is, this is what people like. They like to think that you're getting the truth, but they know they're not really getting the truth. And then all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar has a real problem. And guess what? He knows he doesn't need these liars anymore in his life. And the only man who could help Nebuchadnezzar ultimately was someone who was prepared to tell him the truth. And you see what these enchanters say? There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. When you live in the realm of godlessness and paganism and atheism, there is no hope. There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. And you know, in a certain sense, when it comes to our relationship to God, that is true. There is not a man or woman, boy or girl on earth who can meet God's demands. The holy God that we have just been talking about, the one who demands absolute perfection and righteousness and obedience, there is not a man on earth who can meet God's demand. And in comes Daniel and meets the king's demands, which is really a pointer to Jesus Christ, the only one who can meet the king's demands. There is not a man on earth, according to these Chaldeans, but according to God, there is the man Christ Jesus. And he meets the righteous requirements of the law, which are fully met in him so that he can become our king. And notice when he becomes our king, he makes reasonable Demands, not unreasonable demands. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or whether it's the world to which you're going to serve or whoever it's going to be, they will make unreasonable demands upon you. But God doesn't make unreasonable demands upon you when you are his child. Christ makes reasonable demands. Come to me. If you look at the context of Matthew 11, 28, you read a few verses before that and it really has to do with God giving into Christ's hands everything and that He knows the Father, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are contained in Christ. And then He says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. These are the demands of Christ and they're easy demands. Take my yoke upon you. It's still a yoke, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Daniel found rest for his soul because he went to God. And you will only find rest for your soul when you go to Christ. Notice what these pagans said in verse four, "O king, live forever." They said to a pagan, godless king, "O king, live forever." And what was their reward? you will be torn limb from limb. To the child of God who goes to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who goes to Jesus Christ, you can say in verse 20 with Daniel, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. And when you are able to bless the name of God forever and ever, God, as your King, will bless you forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your words and ask that you will help us to accept the truth, to love the truth, and to know that the truth will set us free because the truth comes from the mouth of a king who is not unreasonable towards his people, but gives us all that we need so that we might respond in faith, hope, and love. We ask for your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.